teaching text coming from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Um, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you who are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pilar. How are we doing, New Song students? It's good to be here. That was a good verse, right? It's going to be a good night. Get your journal out. Get your Bible. Heads up, I have a lot of scripture tonight. Is that okay? Were you in church tonight? Okay. I saw a couple first-time guests. If it's your first time in the house tonight, I want to say welcome to you. My name is Jackson. I'm the student pastor. And buckle up, because we got to get into this word. Y'all ready? Let's go. Tonight, we are continuing our vision series for 2024. What is our vision series for 2024? As it is in heaven, that's right. Every single year, New Song Students begins with a series that is not simply just meant to be a bunch of good topics and good messages for you to consume, but it's meant to be like a prophetic target for us this year. It's something that we want to lay out before you and say, this is where the Lord is leading us. Would you come along with us? We want to hit this target as a family And we also want each and every single one of you guys individually to hit this target, that by the end of this year, when we get to December, you would all be able to say, I walked out this vision in my life. And every year, for the past three years, I've gotten the privilege as your pastor to see so many of you pick up the last three visions that we've done in New Song Students. Has anybody, can anybody remember what all of our visions have been so far? What's the first one? Before that. In pursuit, let's go. Three years ago, it was in pursuit. Then it was filled up, poured out. Last year was with boldness. And then this year is as it is in heaven. And I've had the privilege of getting to see some of you um, really pick up these visions and run with them each and every single year, which is like, that's the point, right? We wanna be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Amen, New Song students? So this is our vision statement, as it is in heaven. It comes from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It's also in Luke chapter 11. And it's this prayer that Jesus gives us. I'm gonna read it to us in case uh, you've forgotten it and you've been living under a rock recently or, or maybe you've never read this verse before. And if, if so, we're so glad you're here. This is the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse nine. This is Jesus. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Amen. Now, I've got a question for you, song students. Have you ever been in prayer and you've ran out of words to pray? Yeah, I've been there before. You've prayed all the things you know to pray. You're like, I've prayed for all my needs. I've prayed for my crazy aunt and crazy uncle who need to know the Lord. Like, I've done all of the prayers. I've said what I need to say. I don't really know what to ask for anymore. And so if you found yourself in that place before, how many of you know your prayer kind of starts to dwindle out and die? This is sometimes because our prayers are a lot about ourselves. But what I love about the Lord's Prayer is it doesn't just give us the freedom to pray for our needs, which it does, thank you, Jesus, but it also gives us a prayer list that is outside of ourselves. This prayer gives us a prayer list of things to pray that is bigger than you, and you need that. You need something that's bigger than you, because guess what? The universe doesn't revolve around me, and so my prayer life shouldn't either. If my prayer life revolves around me, there's a problem there, but the Lord's Prayer breaks us out of this focus. Like we said last week, this prayer is given to us in order of importance. Can we do a quick recap of last week? This Lord's Prayer is in the order of importance, and some of us don't see prayer. We don't view prayer the same way Jesus viewed prayer, which is why sometimes we struggle, because we've made it all about us. Prayer has become this thing that it's a tool that God has given me so I can have my good life and my good vibes and good circumstances, and that's why I pray. But when Jesus gives us this prayer, he flips it upside down. He flips it upside down. It's not that prayer isn't about us anymore, because it still includes us. Amen? Amen. Prayer is still, it still includes us. It's not that it's not about us. It's just that it's not mainly about us. It's not built on us. It's actually built on God. And so the first thing in this prayer that we see that's the most important is that we connect with our Father. Somebody's been listening. That's the most important part of prayer, that you connect with your Father. Prayer is primarily relational. The second thing we recognize is that when we pray, we begin to see that God is holy. He's unlike any other person you could be spending time with. And the more you pray, the better he gets. You taste and see that the Lord is good, and so you desire him. And then what, moves in, what, what happens is we start to move into desiring the things that God desires, which is on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, your kingdom, not my will and my kingdom be done, right? And then the last part of this prayer that Jesus gives us is about our needs being met through God as our source, not our job as our source or our boyfriend or girlfriend as our source or our family or our circumstances all working out perfectly, but God as our source through prayer. Now, this vision series is focused on that third, that third objective in this prayer, desiring to see what God desires to see happen on this earth. That's what we're focusing on. And last week, we talked about how we serve a God who is about resurrecting things. We serve a God who wants to redeem. Aren't you thankful we serve a God who wants to redeem? He takes old things and he makes them new. He takes dead things. He brings them back to life again. God has always been about redeeming. He's been about resurrecting and redeeming long before sin ever entered into the picture through Adam and Eve. The word says that Christ was crucified, um, that he was before the foundation of the earth. It was always part of God's plan to resurrect Christ for us. And so we serve a God with that kind of power who when we are born again, we now receive resurrection power in us. We just sang about it earlier. 
that we have resurrection power living in us. Now, what's interesting about this is even though this world is full of genuine Christians, I'm not talking about like cultural Christians, like people who just raise their hand or they're Christian because their mom or dad is. I'm talking about there are genuine, real Christians who love Jesus. He is their Lord. They have resurrection power living inside of them, but sometimes the impact we see through their life doesn't match up with that claim. Sometimes the, the claim that we make to the world is that we carry resurrection power through Jesus, but our impact doesn't always look like that. Sometimes we find Christians in this world who are genuine and they love God, but they're bound with the same type of bondage that the world is bound by. Sometimes we find Christians who we've got believers who the Bible declares, like Pilar just read, you're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen people. You're called to declare the excellencies of God to this world. Amen, right? That's a pretty cool calling. That's on you right now. But sometimes we as Christians, we find ourselves doing two things. We're either living our entire life like sin management, like trying not to sin, or we live our entire life trying to do all of the right practices to make sure God loves us. Now, if we find ourselves in either one of those examples, if you relate to either one of those things, I don't want to shame you. I don't want to make you feel bad for being in that place because I've literally been there before. Praise the Lord. I've ha- He's worked that out of, my, out of me in my life. But what I want to remind you is that if you're here tonight and your entire Christian faith is focused on not sinning, or if your entire Christian walk is focused on checking off the boxes so God will love you and be proud of you and give you blessing, I want to tell you tonight, there is so much more for you. God has so much more available for you. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Amen, right? Like the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of Christians talking about what they believe. The kingdom of God is about power. Somebody say power. Being a Christian in the kingdom is not about talking about what we believe and debating with other Christians about what we believe. It's about expanding the kingdom of God. And this is what this series is all about, seeing God's desires, God's will, God's ways, God's kingdom take up real, tangible residence, not just in our minds mentally, not just in our heart, but in the places and spaces that he's called us to. But last week, really quickly, just to recap, we talked about two types of hearts that we can carry that will halt, they will block and stop that resurrection power from flowing through us. The first one was an unaware heart. Somebody say unaware. 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 What is it unaware of? It's unaware of the cost of sin and unaware of how good God's kingdom is. The reality is we're never going to care about expanding God's kingdom here on the earth if we don't think his kingdom is that much better than the worldly kingdoms. Like if we don't think it's infinitely better than anything this world has to offer and that sin is infinitely evil and destroying and and killing people, then we won't do anything about it. But once we are aware of the cost and danger of sin and we're aware of the beauty of God's kingdom, then we can start to partner with God in expanding his kingdom. The second thing we looked at is a heart that's unwilling. Somebody say unwilling unwilling. The reality is we will never be people who care about God's kingdom coming into this world if we're focused on building our kingdom through our will. And so what has to happen? Well, we have to die. (laughs) 
We have to die to my will being done and my kingdom being elevated, which is actually something that's already happened. If you made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, guess what? You died. Look to your neighbor and say, you dead. I'm serious. That's what happened. Your old self, according to Paul, is gone, like long ago. Look at this, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So you need to recognize, New Song students, it's not about you walking with Jesus so he can build your kingdom. It's about you walking with Jesus because your old self died a long time ago. <laughs> you died. It's not your life anymore. It's not your talents anymore. It's not your dreams anymore. Now, I know that sounds really gloomy, but please hear me. I'm not saying that as Christians, we can't have talents and we can't have dreams. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that we need to recognize that they're God's dreams and they're God's talents. He gave them to us. They're not for you. They're for him. They're for his glory. And that's why we live. That's how we live. So last week we asked the question, what needs to die? Do you remember that? We asked the question in our life, what needs to die? Because we will never see what God wants until we die to what we want. I'm gonna say that down one more time. If you wanna write that down, we will never see what God wants here on this earth until we die to the things that we want. And that's what we asked last week. And tonight I wanna continue this conversation in this series and I wanna ask another question. I wanna ask what needs to change? Last week we looked at what needs to die. This week, we're gonna look at what needs to change. Y'all ready? Are you sure? I got a lot for you tonight. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that's in this room right now, taking up real, tangible residence. You are here. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal the Son to us. Just like we sang in worship, reveal your Son to us. We can't do that. No human can do that. Only by the power of God can a heart and, and a mind be opened to the reality of who Jesus is, the reality of what he's done for us. Jesus, we love you so much. All of this is for you and about you. And I pray that you would birth in each and every single heart, your heart and your desires and your will to see your kingdom come here on this earth as it is in heaven through each and every single one of these students. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so tonight I wanna answer three questions. If you got your notes, get ready for these. I'm gonna give them to you right now. Three questions we're gonna ask. What is God's kingdom? Number two, how does God expand his kingdom? And then number three, how do we expand God's kingdom? So what is God's kingdom? How does God expand his kingdom? And then how do we expand God's kingdom? So we gotta ask the question, what exactly is the kingdom of God? So I will, are you ready? <laughs> if somebody were to ask you, like down the street, they're like, hey, you're a Christian. What's the kingdom of God? What would you tell them? Or maybe you would freak out and be like, uh, give me a second. And you'd run to your phone and you'd do a quick little Google search, right? 
Like, what is the kingdom of God? Now, New Song students, if you've been here for a while now, you know that if you have a question about something that has to do with truth, what's the first thing that you're going to go to? Are you going to go to Wikipedia? Are you going to go to Reddit and look up some crazy theological debate page and let them answer this? Are you going to go to like that pretty boy influencer on TikTok who's a Christian and let him define what the kingdom of God is? (laughs) No offense to that guy, but you know they're there, right? Amen. Um, No, no, no. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that if you want to know truth, you go to the truth. You go to the source of all truth. Our first response for anything is to go to the word of God, right? So if you go to the word of God, well, maybe you go into Google and you say, uh, Google, could you spit me out some scriptures about the kingdom of God? What you're going to get is hundreds of scriptures, which I've already done this for you, and I'm going to read a handful of them to you. Are you ready for this? These are some scriptures that Google gave me about the kingdom of God. I'm just going to read them to you. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Cool. Sounds pretty simple. John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Which, pause. That's pretty good. That'll preach. But it's kind of funny that like Jesus is defining the kingdom by what it's not. <laughs> That'd be like somebody being like, hey, like, what do you like to do? And you're like, well, I don't like to do what you like to do. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, okay, thanks, Jesus. Okay, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke 10, 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God is near you. A couple more. Can you hang in with me? Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the last one is this, Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Okay, so we just read through these passages about the kingdom of God. Did that help you totally with what exactly the kingdom of God is? It's a little confusing, right? It's a little little confusing. Like there's a little bit of mystery when it comes to this topic and that's okay. I actually think we as Christians need to be okay with a little bit of mystery in our Christian faith. Like we live in a world where our world demands some clear, some clear cut, black and white, perfectly um, argued answers for the questions that don't make sense to us in life. And I want you to know that there's nothing inherently wrong about seeking clear cut answers until they become a wedge to your faith. And I see this sometimes with the believers. I see this sometimes with believers who they can argue theologically some views, like the back of their hand. They've got scriptures ready to throw at your face. They know how to explain basically any confusing topic about the word of God. But I think that sometimes their motives, and I say this because I've been this person before, I think, I think sometimes their motives to get into the word of God and to know God's word is not based on knowing Jesus, but it's actually a fear-based knowing. And I, I, again, I say this because I've been there before. There was a time in my life when 
I was growing in my faith and I started to bump up against parts of God in places in God's word where there was mystery to it. It didn't make sense to my brain in the moment. And what it would do is it would caused me to go into a deep dive of studying God's word, but I wasn't going straight into the word. I was going to books and podcasts to let people tell me what the word said, not the word, which is wrong. And then I recognized that my pursuit for the, for the things of God and knowing the things of God was based off of fear. I was worried that if I couldn't explain everything about what I was confused about, that one day I might walk away from the Lord. And I was afraid of that happening, so I had a fear-based motivation to find answers. Now, again, please hear me. I'm not saying that it's bad to study the word of God. I'm not saying at all it's bad to have some clear-cut answers about, about the word of God. Because if I was saying that, I would probably need to find a new job. Like, that's kind of what I do for a living. What I am saying is that our relationship with Jesus and his word has to be built on the foundation of trust in him, not, the, not based on the foundation of understanding who he is and explaining him perfectly. Our foundation for our relationship with him has to be built on trust, not I can argue you into believing in Jesus because I know all the answers. Does that make sense? And I think we see this a little bit with like, there's mystery to the fact that like God doesn't explain everything. When God put Adam and Eve into the garden, you know, he didn't explain to them why he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. He wasn't like, Hi, Adam and Eve. My name's God. I'm the sovereign, one true living God. Nice to meet you guys. As you can see, this is the garden. It's beautiful. There's places for you to go. There's trees for you to eat from. But if you want to take a look right down here to the east, do you see that tree over there, Adam and Eve? Okay, that's called the tree of the knowledge of, repeat it after me, the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, good job. Okay, good job, Adam and Eve. Now, the reason why I've put that tree there is because I want to be in relationship with you. And I can't be in relationship with you, a real one, if you don't have a choice to choose me. So I've put this tree here so that you have the choice to trust me or to not trust me so we can be in a real relationship. That's not what happened in the Garden of Eden. Like God just put the tree there and said, trust me, and you get to decide. And there's some mystery to that. Does that make sense? Now, there's great mystery all throughout the Bible. There's mysteries that we can discover and answer some of them are harder than others, but when we give the Bible room to not have to explain every single thing to us, we give ourselves room to walk in childlike faith. We give ourselves room to trust God at, at his word and say, if you said this in your word, I believe it, and that's our starting place. Now, going back to the mystery of the kingdom of God, what exactly is the kingdom of God? Let's, let's think back to the, some of those scriptures and passages that we read. It's kind of confusing because some of those passages talk about the kingdom of God being something that we should seek out. Others talk about it being something that we receive. Some of those passages talk about the kingdom of God being something that's near, it's at hand. Others of them talk about how it's something that's upon you or it's in the midst of you. Some of the scriptures about the kingdom of God are about how it's already here right now but then there's others that talk about how it's a kingdom that's gonna come one day. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in a lot of different ways. He, he explains it as a mustard seed. He explains it as being like a treasure hidden under the field. So, so what is it? Like, the answer is yes, it's all of those things. Like I said, it's a mystery, but when I get into 
the common denominator of what the kingdom of God is, here's the common theme that's through all of those descriptions, and it's this, Jesus. Jesus is the kingdom. Luke 17, there's a moment where we find the Pharisees questioning and they're demanding Jesus give them a clear-cut explanation of what exactly the kingdom of God is. And the reason why they want a clear-cut answer is not because they want the kingdom, it's because they doubt who Jesus is. Are you following me? They don't want an answer because they, they want the kingdom. They doubt who Jesus is. Jesus has been going around saying, oh, I'm the king. I'm the son of God. You should listen to me. And the Pharisees are like, really? Okay, if you're king, then why are we still dealing with this Roman empire who's been overthrowing us? You see, the Jewish people had been taken over and feeling the pressure of multiple kingdoms at this point. And they want Jesus to be a king who's going to come in and overthrow this empire. They want him to be this military leader who's going to take care of the big, bad Romans. But this is what Jesus tells them about the kingdom of God. Luke 17, look at this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Okay, what does this mean? I love what David Guzik says. This is not a mystical revelation by Jesus that in some seed form, the kingdom of God is within everyone in a new age sense. So Jesus isn't saying like the kingdom of God is in every single person. It's just deep inside if you look for it. That's not what Jesus was saying. Look at this. After all, Jesus would not have told the Pharisees that the kingdom of of God was in them. The statement of Jesus called attention to himself, not to man. Like many today, the Pharisees said they wanted the kingdom of God to come, but you can't want the kingdom and reject the king. You can't want the kingdom. You can't just want the Garden of Eden and the perfect bliss that we get from the Garden of Eden without Jesus. It's about Jesus. Are you following me? Michael Krulianos says this, people often wonder, what is the kingdom of God? Some have, in, have devoted their entire life to this topic. Their work has been informative and helpful, but let me make this really simple. Who likes simple? I love simple. Let me make this really simple. The kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is Jesus. The kingdom of God is built on Jesus. The kingdom of God, guess what, brings glory to Jesus. The kingdom of God, listen to me, is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not a governmental system. It's not a human system. It's not good vibes. That's not what the kingdom is. We're not like spreading good vibes and good cheer. That's not what the expansion of the kingdom is. It doesn't spread through military force. The kingdom of God is Jesus. And wherever Jesus rules and reigns, that's where the kingdom of God is. I want to say that one more time. The kingdom of God is Jesus. And wherever Jesus rules and reigns, there is the kingdom of God. What I love about this understanding of the kingdom of God is that this means that the kingdom does not tie down to the church and to pastors. Because that means Jesus can rule anywhere and everywhere if a heart is willing. Is that good news? Somebody say amen to that. I love this. Lagani Air Ministries says this. 
in Christ, there is a true priesthood of all believers. All of us who trust in Jesus alone for salvation have free access into his presence. And all of our lawful vocations are set apart for true God-honoring service. Everybody, if you're not paying attention right now, lean in with me. Wake up, wake up call. Look at this next phrase. I love this. The janitor who does his work to the Lord is in no worse position spiritually than the most gifted preacher on the planet. Can I say that one more time? The janitor who does his work to the Lord is in no worse position spiritually than the most gifted preacher on the planet. For all Christians have been declared righteous servants of their creator, God. Amen. Dallas Willard says this, churches are not the kingdom of God, but primarily uh, expressions or outposts or instruments of the presence of God. What Dallas Willard is saying is that this church is not the definition of the kingdom of God because we have church on the sign out there. It's just the kingdom of God because there's people in this room where Jesus rules and reigns in their life. Does this make sense? This is really important for us to recognize because Jesus reigns here, and so this is the kingdom of God here, but there are churches where Jesus doesn't reign, where Jesus is not the main focus, where Jesus is not worshiped. He's not the primary thing that the the church is being built on, and we can confidently say that if that's the case, that unfortunately is not where the kingdom of God is, but the Lord is here, New Song students. Amen. He's here because you guys, I believe, have allowed Jesus to rule and reign in your hearts, not because we have New Song Church on the wall out there. And wherever Jesus rules and reigns, there is the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is. Does this make sense, New Song students? So now we got to look into how does God expand his kingdom? How does God expand his kingdom? Well, in short, he expands it through people, obviously. He expands it through hearts, And the Lord is ruler over all of creation right now, but at the same time, he does not rule and reign in every single heart. And so that means that the kingdom of God is not in every single part of the world yet. We know this because there's fruit that comes with the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is not just talk, but it's it's power. The kingdom of God is not just talk, it's power. So it's not just like the kingdom of God is where people talk about Jesus. It's where the power is. Amen. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? The kingdom of God always has righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit present. Does that sound like a good place that you would want to live in? I want to live there. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Can you say, would you agree with me that that does not exist in the worldly systems of of our world? Yeah, like I wouldn't say that righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit necessarily rule on Instagram. I wouldn't necessarily say those things rule at some of the concerts that I've been to in the world, which means that the kingdom of God is not expanded there yet. Now there will be a day when Jesus returns And he's going to physically rule this earth. It's going to be a new heaven, new earth. We're going to have resurrected bodies. Everybody on the planet will be ruled by King Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's going to be awesome. We're not there yet. And until we get to that point, we have a job to fill the earth. 
That's what we've been talking about on the weekends so much. That's our job, to fill the earth. And so how does God do this? Well, let's look at this. Let's look back at this passage. 1 Peter 2.9, this is our teaching text. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God expands his kingdom through people, but he doesn't just use any people. He uses chosen people. He uses a royal priesthood. He uses a holy nation. Now, let me explain this for a second. Can you guys go a little bit deeper with me? When you read through the Old Testament, what you're going to find a pattern of is you're going to find a pattern of like a rising and a falling of the people of Israel. If you've done the daily, the 30-day shred, I know Gus is doing the 30-day shred, right? Let's go. If you've ever read through the whole Bible and shredded through the Old Testament, you'll see this annoying pattern of the children of Israel constantly following God and falling away from God and falling, following God again and falling away from God. And what you'll actually see is the rising and falling of an entire nation typically can be tied back to a single person or a few key leaders in the nation. Now, just pause. I want to I just remind us something real quick. That, this should be a sobering reminder for all of us about how we should biblically view things like leadership. I think sometimes the world makes leadership look like something that's so glamorous that everybody should desire. And like, man, if you were a leader and you had a platform, then everybody would like love you and you'd get all the recognition you want and you'd have the influence and people would follow you and it would make your life feel so much more fulfilling. But this is not how God wants us to view leadership. In fact, leadership is something that we should view as like with the holy fear a little bit. Because in the Bible, we see the rising and falling of entire nations being tied back to single leaders that God chose, right? And so we need to have this viewpoint of leadership. Now, this is how God redeems the world through a chosen people, chosen people. Now, he chose the nation of Israel, but if we zoom in even deeper to the nation of Israel, what you'll see is three different types of leadership that God would typically use to sway an entire nation. These three people were prophets, somebody say prophets, prophets. Priests, priests, and kings. We got three people God typically would move through to sway an entire nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, and kings. Now, this could probably be an entire teaching on itself. So I'm going to try and really simplify it for us. But I want to talk about these three offices of leadership. Prophets, priests, and kings. What does a prophet do? Well, a prophet is this. It's a person or people who shared God's knowledge and spoke for God. That's what a prophet would do in the Old Testament. So if you read the Old Testament more times than you can count, you'll find the children of Israel, they would be following God, but then they would start worshiping false idols. They would fall away from God. And then what God would do is he would raise up a prophet. And this prophet would carry with him the will of God and the knowledge of God. And he would share that with the people and lead them towards God's correct plan. So God used prophets to fix a knowledge problem. If you're taking notes, write this down. Why? Because with a lack of knowledge, the people perish. And so the children of Israel was constantly lacking knowledge of where God wanted them to be and God's will. So he would raise up prophets to fix a knowledge 
problem. Are you following me? Next one is this. Let's look at priests. What did priests do? Well, a priest was, were, were people who stewarded God's presence and they ministered to God. So if you want to take a deeper dive into this specific topic, you need to go back and you need to listen to Pastor Josh's message this last weekend. It was phenomenal. It was on the tabernacle. He goes way more in depth than what I can do tonight. So make sure you go listen to that if you missed it. But to make things simple, here's what a priest did. Priests, or God used priests to fix a sin problem. So he used prophets to fix a knowledge problem. He used priests to fix a sin problem because God wanted to be near to his people. God desired to be near with his presence. And in order to do that, he raised up a group of people called priests who would offer sacrifices continually to cover sin so they could be near to God and so they could pray for the nation. The last group of people we see God leading and using to lead a nation and expand his kingdom are kings. Somebody say kings. What do kings do? Well, kings were people who were called to steward God's entire people and nation. They were called to lead like him. That's what they were supposed to do. So God had a plan to raise up a nation that was going to be unlike any other nation around the people of Israel. And in order to do that, he called up kings who were supposed to follow in his ways. Now, this is crazy. We see these three functions all throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all throughout the Old Testament. We even see it going all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is core to how God expands his kingdom. Look at this. Wayne Grudem says, In the Garden of Eden, Adam was a prophet in that he had true knowledge of God and always spoke truthfully about God and about his creation. He was a priest in that he was able to freely and openly prayer, uh, offer prayer and praise to God. Adam and Eve were also both kings or king and queen in the sense of having been given dominion and rule over all of creation. We see this going back all the way to the Garden of Eden, but we know the story. Sin enters into the picture. These prophets, these priests, these kings that God would raise up were simply human. They were fallen, sinful people. Some of them led really well. Some of them led absolutely terribly. <laughs> you have some good prophets, you have some false prophets. You have some good kings in the Old Testament, you also have some really terrible, disgusting kings in the Old Testament. But here's the good news. This is the good news. Y'all ready for the good news, New Song students? All three of these different types of leadership were just a shadow of Jesus. All three of them. In Jesus, we see God perfectly fulfilling all three of these forms of leadership, which is why today God can expand his kingdom because Jesus fulfilled every single one of these roles perfectly. He is our perfect prophet. He is our perfect priest. He is our perfect king. Can I show this to you real quick? Jesus, look at this. As our perfect prophet, he fixes our knowledge problem. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Jesus fixes our knowledge problem. Remember, a prophet was supposed to be a mouthpiece for God. They were supposed to come into the world and reveal to the world what God was like and what God wanted. Are you following me? This is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Why? Well, Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. So you wanna know what God is like, where do you look? You look to Jesus. 
our perfect prophet. John 14, eight through nine, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. So how does God expand his kingdom? Listen to me by bringing people into a right understanding, a right knowledge of who he is through who? Through Jesus. He fixes our knowledge problem of who God is through Jesus. Jesus fixes our nearness problem as our perfect high priest. Check this out. An Old Testament priest had a very crucial role of constantly offering sacrifices, but their impact was limited. It would only cover up sin. It would not take rid of sin. And not only that, but they could be in the presence of God, but only once a year, and only one person, the high priest, could do this. But in Jesus, the priestly office is perfectly fulfilled. Why? Can I read you an amazing passage of scripture? Hebrews 10, look at this. And every priest stands daily at his office and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Look at this, verse 14. For by him a single offering, he has, made he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So how does God expand his kingdom? He deals with our nearness problem by being our perfect high priest. He offered up himself so he could do a once and for all sacrifice, mending our nearness problem. The last thing is this. Jesus fixes our leadership problem as king. A king in the Old Testament was meant to do two things. They were meant to shepherd and lead and I guess three things, and protect the, the nation of Israel. They were meant to be a shepherd, to lead and protect God's people. But these kings would typically tend to become fallen. They would get bloodthirsty. They would be selfish, and they would not protect God's people. But Jesus perfectly fulfills this as our good shepherd. John 10, you guys okay with some more scripture? Look at this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep flees and the wolf snatches them up. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I also have other sheep that are not of this fold. So good. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So students, how does God expand his kingdom here on earth? He expands his kingdom by bringing us, his people, under his perfect leadership, under his perfect care as King Jesus. Isn't Jesus amazing, New Song students? He's amazing. He's worth giving our whole life for. So that's how God expands his kingdom, through Jesus, as our perfect prophet, our perfect priest, our perfect king. Now I want to close with how do we expand God's kingdom? I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. How do we, as God's people, God's royal 
priesthood, his holy nation. How do we expand his kingdom? Well, before we're ever going to be able to expand his kingdom out there, we have to allow his kingdom to rule and reign in here. Are you hearing me, New Song students? Before we ever see God's kingdom rule and reign out there, we have to see his kingdom rule and reign in our hearts. So in your life and in my life, we have to ask ourselves honest questions. We have to say, am I submitted to Jesus as my prophet, as my priest, as my king? Jesus, he fixes our knowledge issue of who God is by revealing who God is to us in his words, in his voice. So do I know his voice? Am I familiar with what his voice sounds like? When Jesus comes into my life as a prophet correcting my actions, do I listen to his words? Jesus fixes our nearness problem. He was a perfect sacrifice that paid for our sins in full but the enemy loves to do something. He loves to bring condemnation and sin over our heads whenever we sin. So my question to you is when you fall into sin, do you allow that condemnation and shame to stay? Or do you submit to Jesus as your high priest who made it to where you could come boldly to God with, you could come boldly to his throne of grace because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus made a way for us to enter into God's presence whenever, wherever we want to, do you? Do you enter his presence? Jesus fixed our leadership problem. He's our good shepherd and our good king. He leads us to still waters and to green pastures. Do you let him lead your life? Is he your shepherd? Is he your king? If we don't let him operate in these three areas of leadership in our life, we'll never expand the kingdom of God out there. But once we allow him to do that, then we can move into expanding God's kingdom. And here's how we expand God's kingdom. We ask the question, when we're looking in our world, what needs to change? What needs to change? When we ask this question, we can start walking in what the teaching text says. Look at this. We can start implementing Jesus into every area of the life, our life. First Peter 2, 8 says that stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they, do, they disobey the word as they were destined to. See, once we allow Jesus to lead in all areas of our life, we actually were invited to function in these three areas of prophet, priest, and king. We get to operate in these areas. We get to ask the question, what needs to change? So when you're looking at the places in your life that God has called you to. God has called you to people that he has not called me to. So you have a part to play in expanding his kingdom. We need to be asking ourselves when we're looking at the people that we go to school with, is there a knowledge problem? Do they know the God of their salvation? Do they know Jesus? If they don't, guess what? You get to start operating in the role of prophet and you get to reveal to them who Jesus is. You get to say, this is who Jesus is. And when you do that, you're operating as prophet. Is there a nearness problem that you see? When you're walking down the hallways of your school, do you sense the presence of God there? If not, guess what? You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You get to walk down that hallway and say, Holy Spirit, come. 
Jesus, come invade this hallway. I'm gonna fix this nearness problem right now and act as a royal priest that you've called me to. Is there a leadership problem? I know we've got a lot of leaders in the house, a lot of people who have a leadership calling on their life. You're a leader in your school. You need to be asking yourself, how can I allow myself to be a leader that is submitted to the king? How can I allow myself to be that kind of king? When we start to ask these kinds of questions, we're invited to live in a life where we operate in ministry now. You don't have to wait until you're an adult to start operating in ministry. You can start operating in these things now. When I was, um, before I moved here, before I became a youth pastor, um, I was a childcare director at a children's advocacy center. I worked there for two years. Um, and basically what I was over was I was over this little room, this like 10 by 10 room where I got to hang out with kids. Now, these were kids who have gone through sexual abuse. They've been neglected by their parents or neglected by family members. And they're coming to this place called a children's advocacy center to get free therapy. These kids have walked through some junk. They've seen some stuff. They are broken children. And I'll never forget I'll never forget the first day I walked into the room on my job. This is literally, this is my first day on the job. I walk into this little 10 by 10 room and like the, the, the atmosphere in the room was heavy. Have you ever walked into a place before and the atmosphere in the room was heavy? Like it, it did not feel like the fruit of the kingdom, which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I walk into this room and it's heavy. And there's kids here that they look at me and they're starting to be nervous because I'm a man. And typically the kids in this room, they've been molested, they've been abused by men. And now I'm gonna be their childcare provider. So I walk into this room and I could already tell there was a major wall that was going up between me and these kids. And I remember just being a 20 year old kid and, and I was just like, man, I'm not gonna let it stay this way. Like I know I'm not in ministry, but I'm gonna treat this room like it's my ministry. And so every day for two years, I would walk into that room and I'd be praying in the spirit. I'd be praying over the kids that I'd be hanging out with. Um, I'd be praying over their families. Um, every day, I'd just be walking in early. I'd be signing in kids. I'd be praying in the spirit. And I was just inviting the Holy Spirit into that room every single week. And God did a transformation in that room. Over the two years that I was there, the same children that were terrified of me and didn't wanna go into the classroom because I was a male in the room. Two years later, we're not wanting to go to therapy because they were so comfortable in the room that they were in. And can I tell you, that wasn't because of anything I did. That was just because I was like, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fill this room. There's a nearness problem here. Your presence is not here, but I'm an ambassador. I'm a royal priesthood, I'm a chosen nation. And so I come into this place of darkness and I invite your presence into this room and it changed the atmosphere. And I did that long before I ever stepped into full-time ministry. My question for you is what are the areas in your life where the atmosphere is heavy and dark and you have an opportunity to change that? You have an opportunity to flip that and all it takes is you being willing and saying, Holy Spirit, use me. I'm, a, I'm your royal priest. I wanna see your kingdom expanded here. We wanna see that happen this year, right, New Song students? Jesus has already done the work. He's already done the heavy lifting. All we have to do is say yes and invite him in. Let's do that. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.